Hello and welcome to Aviation Past and Present <coughs> on Coast Access Radio 104.7 FM with John Skeen and myself, Graham Joyce. Welcome, John. Good to have you here. It's always a pleasure, Graham. This is my happy place. Good. Where are we going today? Today we're going to have a look at a trio of early aviation pioneers. And I'll just mention them briefly. Uh, there's Richard Pierce, followed by Percy Fisher, and ending with a gentleman called Will Scotland. Right. And Will Scotland has a, a local connection, doesn't he? He does. Uh, he flew at Otaki uh, around about 1913. Right. And uh, there are some glass plate negatives that still exist of him flying and crashing. Right. Well, that tended to happen occasionally, didn't it? Uh, well, yes. Well, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very yes. good place to start. Richard Pierce, interesting man. Dear Richard, uh, a singularly impressive-minded person who wanted to fly, and that's about as simple as it gets. No basic training, grew up in the country, part of a, a relatively well-to-do family who had immigrated from the UK, no um, engineering training. His brother, his elder brother, got the money to go to university and Richard got to work on the farm. Right. Does that set the scene? Yes, yeah. <laughs> not not un- untypical back in, the, in that day. No, in the late 1800s, yes. But he, even though he must have been an educated man because to have thought and considered and designed, that was more than... He, he he had to have, have some knowledge of, of, of mathematics and that sort of thing. I believe he had the standard young person's education yeah. of the day. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was the basics, reading, writing, and you know, a standard four. Probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have no physical evidence of this, but there were publications coming to New Zealand about aviation mm-hmm. in the late 1800s. Right. They probably took three months to get here. And he probably had to have friends in Timaru that knew that he was interested. So I expect he got eventually got magazines on aviation. Right. And the very basics about mm-hmm. shape and lift and drag or whatever. Uh, I, have, I take my hat off to him because he actually sat down and nutted out an engine, two cylinders, mm. um, basically made out of drain pipe for, right. the, for the cylinders and... I think he got some pistons forged by a man in Timaru. But he just, he had tenacity. Mm, indeed. He, he, had, he wasn't educated. He had a bit of knowledge, but he had this tenacity to try. Indeed. Which pretty much stayed with him his whole life. Mm. Well, the, the piston engine was actually the, he was in the era when everybody was experimenting, Mr. Benz and Mr. Daimler and, and a whole heap of other um, Yeah. Very clued up people. Yeah, even the Wright brothers relied on another guy to make the engine. Yes, yeah. Whereas Pierce <laughs> actually built the plane he, and the he engine. Did, he did the lot. Mm. Take my hat off to him. And the interesting thing is they actually found the engine, which I've always thought oh. that was... Found they, the, they found the second engine. Oh, the second engine, uh-huh. is it and right? And it was a four-cylinder, right. which was a development of his first engine. And the first one was just it's a two-cylinder, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Right. Um, you've, you've stumped me there for a minute it, the, this, the number two engine was found in a rubbish dump mm. Because someone in the family Much after Pierce's death Had cleared his workshop out 
and it all went to the dump. Everything. Right. Sad, isn't it? Uh-huh. Mm. And there was a, a, a chap who was actually an, an aircraft engineer with Air New Zealand eventually took up the case and um, went to have another look at the dump and did find some more bits and pieces. Right. Oh, I guess all of the so, wooden canvas pieces had long since all gone, so, rotted yeah, away. Um, yeah. So his first aeroplane, tricycle under carriage, which yes. is what modern aircraft use. Yes. Um, steerable nose wheel, yep. which is what modern aircraft yep. use. Engine at the front. Yep, engine at the front. Uh-huh. And movable uh, controls. Right. So he really was a leading pioneer. He was the pioneer, mm, pretty mm. much, in New Zealand. Um, the gentleman I was thinking about from Air New Zealand days, it was Teal at the time, was a Mr George Bolt. And he brought Richard Pierce back into the public eye. Right. Which was just as well. <laughs> well, I can just like to briefly mention the other two people, mm, and mm. then we can maybe go back and yes, okay, look yep. at some of the things. Um, the second gentleman of interest is a, a Mr Percy Fisher. And he was born um, maybe 10 years after Richard Pierce and was enthralled with the idea of flying as well. Uh, he was a trained mechanical engineer and an inventor in Wellington. Uh, he was, I believe he had an apprenticeship with the New Zealand Railways of the day in the Hutt Valley somewhere. Could be in Petone, I'm not entirely sure. And he was friendly with a gentleman called Arthur Schaaf, also of Wellington. Right. Who was, again, reading the magazines of the day that came their way at the time. And Arthur Schaefe kind of was keen on the on the shape of the Blerio aircraft. Mm. So it had the engine at the front, it had wings like we know, and a fuselage and a tail assembly like we kind of know. And the wings would be warped, so they could actually change the angle of attack of the wing, the yes. whole wing, to make the airplane turn. Uh, it's fraught with danger, that idea, but uh, a <laughs> bit of drag involved. Yes. But um, he asked Mr Fisher to come and have a look at his, his progress, but he was um, struggling with the engine. And Percy Fisher said, I'll take your engine away and I'll modify it for you. I'll rebuild your engine. Mm. And he got it to the stage where it would put out 40 horsepower. Well, that's quite respectable. Which was very respectable, yep. Uh, he then um, decided that maybe Mr. Schaaf was onto a good thing and he would like to build his own airplane on similar lines, again using the Blerio as a pattern. Mm -hmm. And um, he also made another engine. So that would be around about the 40 horsepower as well. Right. He chose the wire wrapper as a place to test fly um, because of the wind, I suspect. A mm. um, place called Pigeon Bush he started out in. And by 1913, uh, which a date we'll come back to later, he, um, he managed to get some short flights in at Gladstone. And there's a movie exists to this day which has been um, digitally enhanced showing some of these flights. Right. Not too long into his flying experience there, his wife said to him, Percy Fisher, you have eight children. 
Right. <laughs> I don't want you breaking your neck in this contraption. You need to find another pilot. That was a wise move, probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> one of his um, collaborators, a, a chap called Reggie White, put his hand up and said, I'd like to try and fly your plane. And he said, deal. <laughs> it's all yours. And so most of the flying you see in this uh, short video was carried out by Reggie. He landed on the job. Right. Well, brave um, men. <laughs> Some would say brave. Others would say, well, they, they had nothing to base it um, against. They just learned on the job. There we go. Mm, mm. So they both survived. Um, yeah. So <laughs> there is a nice memorial um, over near Gladstone in the Wairapa commemorating the, the flying there. Yes. And bearing in mind it's the same flying that was has been copied have been shown historically as the flights of the time. Mm -hmm. And there's a nice plaque um, underneath this monument detailing uh, what happened there. So, And, and our third character is third Mr. Will Scotland. Come in, Mr. Will Scotland, yep. Uh, the first gentleman was a farmer boy. The second gentleman was a trained engineer. Mm -hmm. Will Scotland, on the other hand, um, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, if I can say that. Right. A rich he, man. He was a, uh, he, well, he became a rich man, well, until he spent it, I suspect. Um, he, his father was in the, um, the legislative, I think they called it at the time, mm -hmm. uh, up by Dargaville Way, I think, and he was born up there. Um, and I suspect, the father was quite a wealthy man as well of the day, as as there would be to get to, to get to that. But uh, Will was um, nuts about the idea of flying. Uh, he eventually, um, his father passed away, and he got an inheritance at age twenty-one, which I suspect was substantial. It was substantial enough that he he decided, I'm going to go to England. I'm going to learn to fly in England. That was a wise place to go to. Uh -huh. Yes, absolutely. And um, so, what are you talking here? Pre World War One. Just pre World War One. Okay. Um, he had an airplane that he learned to fly in called a Codron, which was a biplane. Had a relatively advanced um, aircraft engine, a, a, a radial engine of the day. It's, it was a stationary engine, unlike a rotary, which spins. Mm, yep. It looks like a rotary, but it's not. And a, a very nice propeller, quite a nicely designed airplane for its day. And he learned to fly in it. He enjoyed the plane so much he bought one. Not short of a bob, this guy. No. He also um, uh, purchased one of the very early uh, flying crash helmets. Yes. And it was called a, a ruled uh, crash helmet made in France. So I suspect the helmet and the plane came as a package. And he also flew with a scarf all the time, which was quite interesting. Yes. That's the, so, the daredevil silk scarf wrapped around the neck, yes. Well, and uh, at that time, uh, he was 22. A young man with a bunch of money went to the UK. He obviously went by boat. Um, had enough money to buy a plane, pay for flying instructions, pay for his board and lodgings, and uh, then came back to New Zealand. 
uh, just as, a, as, as an aside, the propeller he used on that airplane when he was flying here uh, still exists in the museum at Capity, Dunkapity Road by the airport there. That's a really historical item, yes, item isn't it? it? Is. We're, we're lucky it's been preserved. I, I'd love to know where the engine is. Mm. Um, he was looking around for a place to fly, and, and he bumped into Mr. Fisher and Mr. Schaaf and various other people who were interested in flying. Right. And they all said, not the wire wrapper, but try north of Wellington. And he eventually found a, a flying field that suited him at Otaki. And to this day, there's still a memorial to his flying at Otaki. Right now, so where was okay. that area? It's, it's just to the right of the what is now the... Uh, it's not State Highway 1 anymore. It's uh, Highway 57. Yeah, I've so, forgotten which Anyway, it's, uh, it's in a nice little place uh, on the right-hand side before you go over the bridge at Otaki, oh, um, going north. On the, in that rest area? In the rest area. Right, between the um, between the, the new expressway and the old yep. highway. It's as, as you leave the main new expressway to get to Otaki, you turn left and actually go down the hill and past it and then over the old bridge. Right, okay. Anyway. So that was the area he was flying in that there. Was, yes. There was a gentleman called um, James Parry, a photographer. Mm. He happened to be there on the day that Will Scotland was going to do his demonstration flights at Otaki. And these things, these glass plates still exist. We're very lucky. Mm. Um, and he crashed on his first flight? Or he was crashed, just... yeah. On the twenty second, sorry, the twenty seventh of January, nineteen fourteen, he managed to crash his plane in front of a crowd of onlookers in a field that you can still go and see today. It's um, it's on the south side of where he was flying, and you can see the hills in the background that were part of the mm. Hemi Matangi hills mm. above us here, and you can tell by the trees in the pictures. Almost where he crashed because they're still there. <laughs> Goodness me! Uh huh. And if you um, if you stand with the with the original picture and look at the hills, you can see that the dips and rises and the trees. It's all and like get the profile right. Pretty much still yes. there. Um, and the, the, there's a second picture uh, taken by this guy on the 27th of January 1914. Uh, so this is still prior to World War One. And the people are um, supporting the plane because it got quite badly damaged and broken undercarriage and bits and pieces. Oh, right, so they're actually carrying it, yes. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know how many people were there. I would say maybe a hundred. <laughs> yes. Twin tail plane. Uh, uh, yes, it was, yes. Uh -huh. uh, a, 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 it looks spindly, if I can use that word. Mm. But it worked. It was a flying aircraft. I've blown up some pictures here, and in the background, just behind the propeller blade on the left-hand side, you can see his crash helmet. Oh, yes. And, folks, I'm looking at the photos too, so... Uh... Yep. He's identified by his ruled crash helmet, which was his constant companion. He mm. wouldn't fly without it, and, and or the scarf. <laughs> That's a really historic photo. It would be yeah, interesting lovely. to see lovely. if any people can identify their Otaki um, well, forebears. Might have relatives in the picture. Mm. Uh, it's easily accessed uh, on the internet uh, for those of us that still have it. 
Yes, indeed. Um, you're just going under Will Scotland flies at Otaki, mm. and the pictures are there. How much longer have we got, Graham? Oh, plenty of time. We've plenty got, of time. got another ten minutes. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Will Scotland got... Um, uh, he fell out of love with flying. Right. And he became, he became a, an insurance agent in Palmerston North, I believe. And he got married. And they decided to go to Australia, where he became an insurance agent. And up until after he had passed away, it was only then that his wife found out about his flying career. Oh, really? He never shared it with her. Isn't that and surprising? She's completely astounded. And so were there diaries or anything left in? I have no idea. Hmm. Yes, you, it, it, I just, find that quite surprising. It's just a quirk. Yeah, no, he'd uh-huh. done something really significant. He'd yes. been to the UK, yes. learnt to fly, come to New Zealand, yes. flown and crashed, and never told his wife about it. No, and uh, if anybody knows anything to the contrary or can add to it, um, please get in touch with the radio station. Yes, <laughs> I'll indeed. be delighted. Yes. Mm. yes I'm, I'm sure that if uh, there must be old diaries from the Ōtaki area where, where the older folk have actually recorded these very events. Let's hope so. Mm. I have a couple of books here, which um, one I've had for a long time because I'm quite enamoured with them. It's a book by Gordon Ogilvie, and it's called The Riddle of Richard Pierce. Now, Gordon Ogilvie, he's the Air New Zealand pilot? Uh, no, no, I think before. Right. Um it says on the fly cover here, Gordon Ogilvie has devoted years of thorough research to Pierce the Man and his extraordinary work. Right. His restraint in formulating claims for Pierce's achievements gives added weight to his judgment, and his study of this neglected figure does justice to a sad, frustrated life mm. of the early pioneer. But it's it's a book I've enjoyed over a long period of time. Uh, it takes you through his various... Aircraft. It takes you through his motorcycle that he made himself. Right. Uh, and and quite a bit of time spent on the engines. So I'll just pick the motorcycle for a start mm-hmm. off. The, the motorcycle was built in and about the time he was trying to build his airplane. Right. He was uh, quite friendly with um, a gentleman in Timaru. I think it was a Mr. Watson who built the first car in the South Island around the same time. Right, they were all working the same sort of stuff, weren't they? Well, yeah. And it was no easy job to get from where Pierce lived to Timaru. It was um, it's not not much today, but then it was um, probably horse. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps a train? I don't know. You know no, it might, train be, to, might be prior to the uh, um, South Island main trunk. Yep. Um, oh, there is a train line goes in west from Timaru mm. and stops at Pleasant Point, I think, and they have a big train museum there to this yes. day. He may have been able to use that. I, I don't know. But there is a single-cylinder bike, um, single-cylinder single-cylinder engine, which he attached to what looks like a, just an ordinary bike, mm. pretty much. But it went, and it ran, and people were amazed and so forth. He was called up during World War One and went to um, to fight with the New Zealand Expeditionary Force. And then when he came back, 
I think he was a bit shook up by his experience, mm. just from reading between the lines. But he then moved to Christchurch, where he built three houses, I believe. One of them I actually went and had a look at one time, and it's in just off Ferry Road on the way down to Ferry Meadway. Wildberry Street, if you're ever in the mm. area. Typical um, wooden, weatherboard, standard villa-type house, which he... And, and he rented the two houses out, that he, and he half lived in the other one. So he had a bit of an income. Mm. He put his time and money into what he called a converti plane, a plane that could both travel horizontally and take off vertically. That, that was the plan. Um, anybody who knows anything about aerodynamics today would look at it and say, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> but he, but he, he was moving in the right direction, though, wasn't uh, he? Yes, there are still tilting wing airplanes around today, mm. particularly in the new future of unmanned aircraft, mm. where they're trying to tilt the wing and then bring it horizontal so they can go vertically up and then carry on. Well, the Americans have a, um aircraft, don't they, where the motors are out on the very tips of the wings and they oh, take yes. off vertically. The, the Osprey. The Osprey, yes. But yes. the wing doesn't tilt. No. The no. engines do. Engines do, but, yes. Um, so uh, in some respects he was ahead of his time. Mm. The plane still exists at Motat in Auckland. It was rescued by uh, Mr. Bolt. Right. And I think it was taken up in a Hercules. It's amazing that it's actually survived. Yeah, still there. I don't know where the pilot's at. I think he just hunkered down behind the engine somewhere. Kept his head down. (laughs) Yeah, down. But it still exists. So there are are some real... um, There's real evidence of Pierce and what he could do. The Mm. the bike still exists. It's also at at Motat. Right. And some of the engines are still there. There was an intriguing engine mentioned uh, when he lived at a place called Loudon's Gully, and it was a, a, a 16-cylinder engine that he used to drive a plough. And the folklore from down that way was that he, he was hoping to put it into an aeroplane, but it never eventuated, and, and he used it for an agricultural purpose. But it's never come to light. So if anybody ever sees a thing that looks like a, be- a bed mattress with... Eight cylinders each side. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Give us a ring. So that's that's a Pierce mystery. Mm. Uh, I'm also quite enamoured with um, Percy Fisher. Percy Fisher's main business um, was piston rings. Oh right, so he understood engines. Oh yes, he was he was a trained engineer. Um, reliable and efficient piston rings are. Absolutely necessary on aviation engines. Fit Fisher hammered piston rings. Right. I guess that describes how they were made. Mm, mm. And uh, his his business was in Wigan Street in Wellington, which I believe is in Tiaro. Oh, but that's. Uh, and you can get these piston rings from garages and engineers throughout New Zealand. Well, well, well. So there you go. And he also was um, a pioneer in making equipment for. Um, for movies like the projectors and all that kind of thing. He was uh, quite an interesting man. And that's a book on his life, which... Uh, this this book's called Taking Flight, uh, and it was written by a gentleman called Paul Maxim, who I believed had a, a family connection with Percy Fisher. Right. Uh, and it was uh, published in The Wire Rapper. 
Um, it was published by the Wairapa Archive, and it's a Maori word, and I won't even try and pronounce it. Mm. Now, a replica has been built of the Fisher monoplane. Fisher's monoplane. Yes. Yes, also in the Wairapa. <laughs> Did they fly it, or was it built as a static model? It's not finished yet, as far as I know. Right. It's not finished yet. Um, I believe there's a give a little page to help the gentleman along who's making it. Right. And if I can find it quickly, uh, he's doing a sterling job trying to keep it exactly the way that it was built. If you just excuse me for a minute here, it'll turn up any second. It's a, ma a man by the name of Mr. John Hill. Uh, he's a retired engineer and he's been building this um, replica for several years now. And when it's finished, he hopes to donate it to the Hood Aerodrome Museum. Mm. And it'll be much welcomed there. Right. And it'll be interesting to see it sitting there adjacent to some of Peter Jackson's World War One aircraft. Yes. Because they're not that far apart. <laughs> Certainly not in, in age. So there we are, that's that one. Um, I lived in the Wairapa for a while and I, I've been... I tried to find Pigeon Bush and it was windy and I've seen the memorial and it's well done. Will Scotland, I, I have a, a growing uh, interest in him uh, because he went on to do some of the first cross-country flights in New Zealand. Right. And anecdotally, maybe one of the first airmail flights, except it was a private mail drop. Right. <laughs> Somebody, somebody, I think Christchurch Way said, oh, I've got a friend in Tamuka, Tamuka passing by, can you just throw this out at him? <laughs> Which is pretty much what he did. But it's gone down in, in folklore's airmail. Well, <laughs> it came out of the air. A, a rose by any other name would smell <laughs> just as sweet. Yes. So there we are. That's a, a quick canter through our three pioneers. Um, if anybody can add to any of my stories, I'll be delighted to hear from them. Indeed, and they can get hold of you here at the radio station. Why not? Hmm. There we are. Right, and that brings us neatly to time, so John, well done. Oh, thank you very much. Hmm. I'm, You've been... I'm getting into practice. Indeed. <laughs> You've been listening to Aviation Past and Present with John Skeen and myself, Graham Joyce. Listen again this time um, next month, and we'll have another yes. um, interesting tale about aviation history of New Zealand. I'm working on it. Good. Thanks, John. <laughs> thank you very much. All the best. This program was made with assistance from New Zealand on air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.org.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand on air.